You're listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network, featuring political interviews, reports, and rants from around the state. Uh, this is Jay Mack with Safest Houses, and I'm sitting here with Andy Harrod. Andy is a candidate for the District 8 Commission seat, the special election coming up uh, next month. And um, Andy, we'll ask you a few questions. Okay. Um, and if you, you don't mind, I can tell by your accent, you're not around these parts. So tell us a bit about you, where you're from, and, and what you're doing now. Well, when people ask me that, uh, typically my first response is that I'm from Alabama. <laughs> and, uh, and then quickly uh, they say, no, you're not. Uh, originally, I'm from London, and um, that's where I grew up. And I came to the U.S. in 1986 to uh, go to school. Um, and I finished my undergraduate degree in England, uh, came here, went to West Virginia University for a couple of years, did a master's degree there. Then I went to New Jersey to Rutgers for four years, did a PhD mm-hmm. there. Um, in geography, that's my area. I teach economic and political geography and urban geography at the university here in Athens. Okay. And uh, came to UGA in 1992 as a baby assistant professor. And <laughs> now I'm a full professor here on campus. And um, just my wife works on campus as well. And we just really love Athens and the university. And okay. um, just, you know, it's a great town. And okay. I, I'm very pleased to live here. And you're uh, you're also you're, you're the president of the Federation of Neighborhoods, correct? I am. Yes, I've been the president of the Federation of Neighborhoods, which is a countywide um, federation of neighborhood associations, um, and I've been president of that for three years. And I'm also the Green Acres Crestwood Community Association president, mm-hmm. and I've been president of that for four years. And I'm currently an Athens Clark County Planning Commissioner. Okay, so you sort of been kind of involved in land use and neighborhood issues for a while now so uh yes i've uh before i was on the planning commission i was actually on the hearings board as well and those the planning commission and the hearings board are a little bit different your your listeners may not understand (laughs) quite the difference but planning commission really deals with large-scale land use type Mm -hmm. issues uh, a lot of zoning issues but also lots of other types of issues uh, environmental issues those kinds of things the hearings board is a little bit different. What the hearings board does is um, looks at a particular plot of land, and sometimes you have you may have two or three different ordinances that mm-hmm. that say different kinds of things should happen on this plot of land because ordinances are written as very broad brushstroke types of things, and so you might have an audience one ordinance that says, "Well, you have to have so much parking on this plot of land," and another says, "But you can't go into the stream buffers." And so right. the hearings board basically is uh, an entity that looks at this in um, at a finer detail. And so a developer or a homeowner, anybody really, can come and mm-hmm. request what they call a variance, which is really right. a fancy word of saying an exception to the rules. And so the hearings board's job is really to figure out um, whether they meet five standards. There are five very clear standards that they have to, uh, the petitioner has to meet in order to um, be granted the variance. Okay. So. All right. Well, we got a couple questions that we'll just roll okay. through here. Some of them are kind of specific. Some of them are kind of general. Um, and I've talked to some different folks who run local blogs here in town and as well as some folks I know who live on the east side and try to get, since I live over in District 6, I want to make sure we represent some of the issues and concerns they have. Um, so these are in no particular order, okay. and I'll just start throwing a few out. Um, 
one of the big issues that came up, I guess, probably in the past two years on the East Side was the La Puerta uh, mm-hmm. de la Sol issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the folks were curious where you stood when all that was going on, if, if you supported Bruno Rubio's request to, uh, to redevelop that cover space mm-hmm. and put up his mixed use. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we didn't. Uh, over here in Green Acres, there wasn't um, a lot of uh, knowledge necessarily of what was going on. Um, I mean, I think that there were some some people had some concerns about issues of noise mm-hmm. and uh, music and those kinds of things. From what I can understand, and again, I don't claim to claim to be an expert on the specifics, but. Um, some of those issues could have been addressed through basically the ordinances, the enforcement mm-hmm. ordinances that we have. I think the, I guess I would say there's two things about the, the Puerto del Sol mm-hmm. issue. The, the first is that I really thought that some of the, the way, or the way in which some of that discussion became very racialized mm-hmm. was really quite disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that was an issue for everybody, but, but it really, um, there were a lot of things said that I just personally found very disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of those kinds of land use uh, conflicts could really be avoided with a much better um, sense of how to plan along Cedar Shoals Drive. Um, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the um, things that I think we really need along Cedar Shoals Drive is a special district um, overlay or a special overlay district, which mm-hmm. will really... Um, tighten up some of the restrictions or some of the uh, not restrictions but tighten up some of the, the building codes and those kinds of things we have one along Gaines School Road mm-hmm. um, and I think if everybody knows kind of ahead of time what the deal is then then I think that will really avoid some of these kinds of you know very ripping uh, conflicts that go through our community I did have uh, an article in the Athens Banner Herald an editorial about um, Cedar Shoals Drive in December of 2005, I think it was. Okay. Um, what I would like to see happen with Cedar Shoals Drive is a kind of a boulevard mm-hmm. type um, development. You know, lots of trees, mm-hmm. uh, sidewalks. Um, Something that's pedestrian friendly. It's very pedestrian friendly, small scale. None mm-hmm. of the kind of big box development type mm-hmm. things. Um, buildings close to the street. Mm-hmm. I think with the buildings close to the street. In other words, with 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 no or very small setbacks, um, it gives it a much more intimate feeling, and it also makes those businesses more readily accessible. It means that people don't have to drive, mm-hmm. you know, out onto the main street through a curb cut to go twenty yards up the street to come back into a building. Right. So, I actually think. I mean, I know some people might might think it's more kind of government telling you what to do, mm-hmm. but I actually think it makes smart business sense. If I were a business owner, that's mm-hmm. the kind of street I would like to have my business on. Um, mm-hmm. There's just any number of studies that you can point to that show that people will spend, will shop more, and they will spend more money along streets that are, are aesthetically pleasing, mm-hmm. and you know, ones with trees and lots of grass and. Mm-hmm. And accessible sidewalks, I think, is that's what I think needs to happen along Cedar Shelves Drive. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of spills into I, I had a I think I emailed this comment to you a while back about um, using street beautification as an economic development tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean that that seems like what you're talking about here. So exactly. I mean, I you know a lot of times. Sorry, that's my dog barking. <laughs> we're, just, we're just having some ambiance. That's all. <laughs> um, but um, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people 
say, well, either we have a nice environment or we have economic development. And I really think that's a false dichotomy. I think that the thing that attracts people to Athens, and I think what drives a lot of our local economy is our quality of life, and the environment is really a central part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so protecting our environment is actually smart business. Mm-hmm. Pollution actually costs us. I mean, it's not just... Uh, it doesn't just cost us in terms of potential fines. I mean, if we, um, I mean, one of the things that we've had to address recently in Clark County is the issue of stormwater. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a federal mandate. Um, we need to be able to prove that we have clear water to allow um, us to continue as a city. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we could be fined by the feds. Mm-hmm. So the pollution doesn't just cost us in terms of fines, but it also costs us in terms of our quality of life. And, and that's why people come to Athens. It's, mm-hmm. it's the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that also kind of bridges into some of the, the, the talk, one of the main ones. And you addressed this over, I believe, the, the Athens World website. Um, just sort of a general plan, some I guess a general concept or a vision you have of how to promote and support alternative transportation in, in the community. What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, I think that we, uh, obviously people uh, have grown up around here, or the city has grown up around here, based around the automobile. Mm-hmm. And automobiles are obviously very important. Um, means of transportation and you know we're not going to get to a situation where everybody's going to get out of the car I mean that's just completely unrealistic Mm -hmm. but I think what we need to do is to give people options I mean Mm -hmm. America I mean this is one of the things that I like about living in America America is is supposedly the land of choice Mm -hmm. and and so I think we need to be able to give people choices in their transportation options because not everybody has the same kinds of of needs Mm -hmm. so I'm very much in favor of um, supporting and extending both in terms of its uh, hourly you know into the night but also its geographical reach of the mass transit system the bus Mm -hmm. system Um, I think it's it's important that we have uh, bike lanes Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we need to make sidewalks uh, accessible for pedestrians and also for people in wheelchairs I mean they're particularly in the eighth district um, there it's, are, it's just as if he has a comment on the matter I know, well. he's saying go go dad, go dad. Um, but there are a lot of people in wheelchairs and you know in order to give them uh, the opportunity to enjoy their life to the full they have to be able to have accessibility it's, I don't think it's right that some people have to um, basically be kind of uh, Partitioned away because uh, you know in certain parts of the city and certain parts of the streetscape mm-hmm. simply because they they can't um, get out because they're in a wheelchair, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important to have these uh, transportation options. I mean, one of the things that's really surprised me is that um, the Athens Park County bus can't drive on the loop from the east side out to the mall because it mm-hmm. has to go through Oak County County, and we don't have an agreement with Oak County County to mm-hmm. let us do That just is completely crazy, I think. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I would like to do... I mean, Athens does not sit as an island unconnected to the other counties, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to have some serious conversations with some of our surrounding counties mm-hmm. about issues of mass transit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bus going to the mall is an obvious example, but we have a lot of people that work in athens Clark County that live in the surrounding uh, communities. Particularly with the university. Particularly with the university. And, and I think we need to have some kind of regional approach. Now, obviously, that's going to involve probably some kind of legislation um, over in Atlanta, and we mm-hmm. need to get our our um, 
state legislators that represent mm -hmm. this district together and to mm -hmm. talk seriously about mass transit, I think that's really important. I mean, where I grew up, I mean, I grew up in Europe. Everybody uses the bus. When I was mm -hmm. in college, I knew two people that had cars because everybody <laughs> either bicycled, used the bus, or they used what we call in England Shanks's pony, which means you walk. Uh, Shanks's pony is your two feet. Um, so I think it's really important that we have those, those options. Okay. Um, well, I think this is, this is an example of one of those issues, but um, one of the specific things that's popped up as of late is the um, commission is trying to find a way to use the, the federal grant money mm -hmm. for the park and ride lot. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of your thoughts involving that? Is, do you see that being a viable solution in the long term for alternative transportation? And where would you, I guess, envision that, kind, that going right now? Well, I think it's important to understand where this money came from, first of all, because that is going to shape the... Um, that shapes what we can do with it. It, it was a federal earmark mm -hmm. um, under the transportation bill for, two point, I believe it was $2.75 million, mm -hmm. and there were a number of strings that came attached with it, one of which is that it has to be located in Clark County, mm -hmm. so we can't put it out in Oconee County. Um, one of the other strings that came attached... Um, was that it could only be used for a park and ride. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is that the commissioners had some other ideas that they wanted to do to do with that money, but the strings that came attached said it had to be in Clark County and it has to be a park and ride. Mm -hmm. So the question then becomes, what, where? Mm -hmm. uh, there was a meeting about three weeks ago at Fire Station Number 7 out here on Barney Shoals Drive that I attended with a, a number of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, the commission basically had 12 sites that they were looking at and for various different reasons, all on the, uh, well, most, I, I don't want to say all, but most, if not all, on the east side. Um, and for various reasons, about half of those had been eliminated by the commission. Mm -hmm. um, so what was left was basically either sites along College Station Road or sites along Lexington Road. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of College Station, there were two sites that were mentioned, Kroger's parking lot and the Church right. of God Church. Both Kroger's and the Church of God said they were not interested because part of the deal with this money is it, it has to be used for purchasing land. It cannot be used for leasing land. Okay. And they were not interested in selling the land. So in terms of College Station Road, the only place that would be left would be up on the loop where College Station Road goes into the loop. I don't think that's a particularly good area because mm -hmm. um, top, in terms of the topography, as I understand it, the only place they could build it would be where they would have to cut all the trees down. Mm -hmm. So I personally think it mm -hmm. makes most sense to have it out on the loop by Lexington where the Carmike theatres are. And I think it makes the most sense there for, for several reasons. There is a, a proposal from the Georgia Department of Transportation to improve the exit of that, mm -hmm. uh, of the loop there. And I think the park and ride could be combined with that. that exit. Um, it'll, it'll get all of the traffic coming in from Oglethorpe and, mm -hmm. and Madison counties. And then what I would really like to see, and this would probably involve some kind of federal or state Dollars. I don't think we would have the tax dollars to do it here in Alton mm -hmm. County, is a people mover that mm -hmm. would take people from the park and ride into the multimodal center. And we could mm -hmm. even maybe use some of the, the rails for trails, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the old railroad track right. uh, place there. 
They have a people mover like that in actually Morgantown, West Virginia, where mm-hmm. WVU is. They call it the PRT, which is the Personal Rapid Transit. I think is what that stands Something for. Something catchy, some sort of yeah. ass moniker for yeah. it. Yeah, and it was a federal. It was a demonstration project from the Department of Transportation, and they built it, I think, probably in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, because the campus there is in two parts. There's one campus downtown, and there's one campus about three or four miles out of the downtown, and that shuttles students and faculty back mm-hmm. and forth all day long. So my personal feeling is that that might, that's where it makes the most the most sense. Okay. Um, well, another one of the specific issues that's popped up is the, the proposed rezoning of um, of actually a part of Green Acres for the the office part they were discussing um, that was tabled, um, so they could reconsider that. Um, but again, what are some of your thoughts about that? What do you, do you think the office park? You know, there was a lot of conversation about that being. Um, uh, that, that that was wasn't the the best choice, but it might be the only choice. But it, then some folks are saying it wasn't it wasn't the best choice, and there's got to be a better one down the road. W- what are some of your thoughts involving that as person as living in the neighborhood and dealing with that? I imagine yeah. this is something that I have been in in my capacity as the Green Acres Pressford Community Association president have been dealing with for the last two years, <laughs> the very at least two years. Um, it's a very complicated issue, and it's complicated for several different reasons, um, not least of which is that the that plot of land was originally one of about three plots of land in the county that the, when the 2000 land use plan was done, nobody knew what to do with. So it actually had no zoning. Mm-hmm. And then it became RS5. And what that means, RS means it's single family and the, the designation five means it's lots have to be 5,000 square feet. Okay. Uh, can be as small as 5,000 square feet. So RS25, which is what the rest of Green Acres is, means it's residential single family with 25,000 square foot lots. Okay. Um, so the developer, or excuse me, the landowner, um, came along with a plan to build 19 houses on that plot of land. Mm-hmm. And we had a number of uh, community meetings here of the residents, and basically nobody was interested in, in, in that plan. Um, so then the developer came along with a different plan. The developer petitioned to rezone it to commercial neighborhood mm-hmm. with, with what they call a PD or a planned development. And basically what a planned development means is that the plan that the developer says they're going to build, they have to build it. And if they're going to vary from that plan, they have to get the mayor and commission and the planning department and everybody else to basically agree to let, let them, them do to change it. Okay. Um, and what the CMPD that they wanted to do was to build a small office park. The advantages of the small office park were that it would not be noisy in the evenings and on the weekends, um, and they would save some of the trees, because if they were to build the 19 houses, they would basically have to clear-cut the entire lot. Right. So for two years, we were presented with an option, a choice. The choice that was given to us was either we have the 19 houses and all of the trees are chopped down or we have the office park and some of the trees are saved and the office park allows us to have quiet uh, weekends and evenings at the last minute another option came up um, which was or not so much another option but a, a, a wrench was thrown into the works in which there was a, a legal opinion which said that Perhaps that's my cat. No, we we just got a little I mean, menagerie here. Andy, it's, it's sort of like you're living in a zoo. <laughs> well, I am. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the head zookeeper. <laughs> um, but 
in which uh, we were told that um, there are possibly other options and that going back to RS5 was not necessarily what would happen if this particular uh, CN development did not go through. And okay. we had been told for two years, these were the two options. Either, either this office gets approved or you have the houses, which absolutely nobody wanted. Right. Um, and so that's why the Mayor and Commission tabled it at their last meeting. Mm-hmm. I am actually having a meeting on um, next week um, with the people that own the land and some of the county officials, and we're going to kind of sit down and uh, talk about this some more. Part of the problem is that nobody was really clear when, when a PD, a plan development, it, it exists for a certain period of time, and after that it, it sunsets, which means mm-hmm. that it, it expires. And so the way that the uh, planning department's um, code was written, it said that it, it goes back to the underlying zoning. And nobody was quite sure exactly what that meant. Did it mean it goes back to the CN? Does it go back to the RS5? What? Mm-hmm. And so that was part of the, the confusion. Um, there is a text amendment coming through the planning commission. Um, in fact, we voted on it last planning commission meeting, and it's mm-hmm. now going to be in front of the mayor and commission that clarifies that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a long answer to a, to a <laughs> simple question, but it's a very very complicated issue. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think anybody really knows exactly all of the parameters until we have this meeting next week. Okay. Um, I think most people felt if it was a choice between nineteen houses or the office park, we want the office park. If it's a choice between this office park and something else, I don't really know at the moment mm-hmm. how people feel and. and it would depend on whether something else it, it, was it, it precisely. precisely. Okay. All right. Um, one of the other issues that's, for some reason, really generating a lot of buzz in a lot of the local blogs around here, um, as well as um, as well as with the mayor commission, um, is that of trying to revitalize some of the empty big box shopping centers. Um, there's a Homewood Hills near where I live that that is about to have the Dial America move into it, but then I guess Willowwood is is empty as well. Um, what are some of your ideas for how to to attract businesses to renovate and utilize these spaces. Is this something where a tax allocation district might come into play? or I think TADs are certainly important. I, I voted for TADs when they were on the ballot, mm-hmm. and, and I don't claim to know all of the ins and outs mm-hmm. of exactly how those work. But essentially, uh, my understanding is that the, the tax uh, assessment basically stays as it is, and uh, then when the development comes through, um, that that... Uh, the money that is generated by that development is then used to kind of pay for the improvement. So it's but it can the, the good thing about it is it can be used very uh, it can be targeted to mm-hmm. very specific locations. Um, I think one of the ways in which we encourage the reuse of big boxes is we don't build any more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I look at the target out on on Atlanta Highway. Um, you know, that was in a shopping center. We. Mm-hmm. You know, a new one was built on Atlanta Highway mm-hmm. where they basically, in my opinion, um, destroyed that, that land. They had to pipe a stream. Um, they they clear cut. Mm-hmm. All of those kinds of things. And I, I don't really... I'm not a target person. You should talk to my <laughs> wife about target. Um, but I think that the, the, the original target mm-hmm. lot out on Timothy Road is, I believe, is still empty, but I, I wouldn't swear to that. But, no, I, uh, they, they put... Um, Oh, a sporting uh, the okay. academy sporting okay. group. So, I, okay. and, and I was I was glad to see them put something mm-hmm. in there, um, and it, mm-hmm. it's done fairly well. But, mm-hmm. um, but, but I I think because I lived over on that side, there were a lot of questions of, 
what was the need to move from there? Target mm-hmm. did very good. I mm-hmm. guess they felt that the, the, the space was outdated and there, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. wasn't an appropriate model to mm-hmm. reimburse them mm-hmm. for any renovations they'd have yeah. to do. So, yeah. I mean, there has been some talk about Target also coming out onto the east side. Um, and I went to a meeting, oh, it would have been about six weeks or so ago, mm-hmm. I suppose now, um, where there was some discussion about Target coming up into an area up um, by uh, up behind the Carmike um, cinema complex up on Lexington mm-hmm. Road. Um, that, I don't think, I'm just speaking personally now, um, as an individual, I, I would prefer to not see Target go there. I think somewhere like the Willowwood Shopping Centre would be a perfect mm-hmm. place for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, mm-hmm. It's empty. Uh, so you get adaptive reuse mm-hmm. of that shopping centre. Um, and if if it does go up into the back behind um, the Carmike theatres, basically it will destroy that neighbourhood. It, mm-hmm. it will the, the 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 houses will have to go. Uh, trees will be cut down. There's it a will, large number of renters over there, to my understanding, too. Correct. Um, I'm not sure what the what the owner occupier versus okay. renter breakdown is in that neighbourhood. I know that there's a, a fair number of older okay. um, senior citizens, I guess. Um, so, I mean, I think part of the, part of the way that we encourage adaptive reuse is we really get a handle on issues of rezoning and and our land use um, mm-hmm. options because. Um, you know, we are very, very overbuilt here in athens Clark County, both for commercial and for uh, residential. I was looking at the, at the planning department's website um, a couple of days ago and um, looking out to a prediction to about uh, 2030, I think it was, that um, we're going to have something like 35,000 units more than we will need based upon what our population is projected to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this actually, I mean, I know a lot of the development community says, oh, well, you can't, uh, you know, if you restrict us, you're being unfair to business. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of people, uh, a lot of businesses here that are paying for this rampant development that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, there are realtors that, that can't rent um, mm-hmm. apartment, you, you know, units in apartments. We have a huge vacancy rate in our apartment complexes here. Mm-hmm. So um, I think when we look at the housing industry, we have to understand that there are a lot of different people that make up that housing industry and they don't all have the same set of interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so so even within the industry, p- different groups of people want to do different things. But I think as a community as a whole, we all pay for sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think we need to have a handle on this and I think that we need to you know, protect our green belt, protect our stream buffers and, and the way that we do this is I think we get really serious about um, planning mm-hmm. how much housing how much commercial development do we need and, well, and why are we continuing to allow more and more and more of this to be built um, that basically you know in five years time will be derelict and that's where it touches on that's the thing that I've been kind of hammered home and I've been writing at the blog is um, that it has been really branded and imparted on me by a variety of other folks but start thinking not tomorrow, but 10, 15 years mm-hmm. down the road mm-hmm. and start thinking more, I guess, big picture if you're yeah. speaking in grand idealistic terms. But Yeah, I mean, we should be planning. I mean, I think you have to have a number of different time horizons. I mean, you have to, and, and I, you know, this is just based on my experience on the planning commission mm-hmm. and the hearings board. Obviously, you have to be able to figure out what's going to happen next week or next month. And I think you also have to be able to 
plan for what's going to happen five years from now. But I think you also need to be planning for 50 or 100 years down mm-hmm. the road. So I think you have to have you know, two or three different time horizons and, and try and figure out a way of making those different time horizons kind of blend together. So you're all working to one grand plan, as it were. Right. Um, but there are, you know, you're looking at a number of different time horizons. Mm-hmm. Um, and population, I mean, population growth is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the question is, how do we, how do we manage it? Um, people want to come here because it's a nice place to live. And if we don't manage it properly, it's not going to be a nice place to live anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, the partners of Prosper Athens, they, they mm-hmm. just released their specific recommendations for um, how to try to lower and reduce the poverty rate here in town. Um, well, I guess in what area would you like to see more attention paid focus to in, in the overall fight against poverty, um, whether it's, um, I guess there's only a handful of things that the commission could do with regard to education, but I guess when you look at affordable housing or property tax rates or um, uh, just support structures for nonprofits maybe, mm-hmm. is there anything that, that you think that, that kind of intrigues you or, or that you're thinking more about? Well, I think there are several things that, that we can, and I haven't had a chance to go through the report in detail, although I was on the Economic Development Subcommittee of the Pro- Partners for Prosperous Athens. Um, I think we need to look at several things, and again, these, these will play out on a number of different time horizons. I mean, the, the, there's obviously the issue of, of education and job training and, and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of skills, encouraging skill development. That's not an overnight fix. That's that's a, a decades-long fix. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of our long-term horizon things that we need to look at. Um, I think actually transportation in, in some ways plays into this mm-hmm. because sociologists and, and urban geographers talk about something that they call the spatial mismatch, which sounds like a very fancy highfalutin <laughs> uh, description for something that's very basic. And what it is is that sometimes you get people who live in one area and the jobs are somewhere else and there's no way for the people to get from where they live to where the jobs are. And so basically what that means is that they don't have access to a very broad labor market. Mostly the reason why they why people can't access jobs, you know, can't get from where they live to where they work is because they don't have good transportation options. Many of them do not own private cars, so they're relying upon mass transit, the bus, for instance. Um, and if the bus system is underfunded if the bus system doesn't run from the neighborhoods they live to where the where the jobs are then people can't people can't find employment so i think an important uh element it's not the only element but an important element in this uh, addressing poverty is actually giving people transportation options if you make it possible for you know just because i live in a particular area and the job may be on the other side of town that doesn't mean that i shouldn't be able to access that, um, you know, uh, to be able to, to just to find a job on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. So I think the transportation issue is important. And then uh, a third thing that I think is really important is we have to understand who is the major economic player in this community, and it's the university. Mm-hmm. And what happens on campus clearly impacts what happens in the broader community, as does what happens in the broader community has an influence on Mm -hmm. what happens on campus. We have just gone through on campus a process of looking at issues of low-wage work on campus. In fact, there was an ad hoc 
committee mm -hmm. that the university put together and I was one of about a dozen or so people that served on that committee and we were looking into um, working conditions and wages mm -hmm. and we just released our report in fact it actually went to the provost yesterday um, and there were a number of recommendations in, in that uh, one was to um, make it easier for people to um, continue with their education particularly those lower waged workers who had maybe dropped out of high school so mm -hmm. we talked about a number of specific things uh, in terms of making it easier for, for job training GED uh, time off to, to pursue GED mm -hmm. that kind of stuff because you know people need basic skills to be able to move up up the um, the labor market ladder mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that is really important and I think is the most um, significant part of that proposal is to increase the base pay, the starting base pay mm -hmm. for the lowest waged workers. And so what we have proposed is um, to go to, I believe it was $24,000 um, as the minimum salary that anybody would be paid on campus by June, uh, two, it was I think June 2009 was the date we, we figured. Now obviously that has to be funded by the legislature. So this is where you know, we have to as a community, I think, put some pressure on our elected representatives, mm -hmm. particularly those, um, well, it will go to the Board of Regents, but ultimately mm -hmm. the state would have to approve because mm -hmm. the money has to come from the state. Um, but I'm very proud of that report, and I'm proud to have served on the committee that, that came up with those recommendations. Um, so I think those are three things. And again, mm -hmm. the, the education is kind of like the long, long-term you know, maybe even a generational thing. Mm -hmm. I think. I think doing something about low wage work on campus is in, kind of in the more immediate near future. Um, transportation options is something that we can do very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and then one other thing that that I've seen in a lot of other communities that I think would be at least worth exploring here is what are called local economic trading systems, and the, or LETs is what they're sometimes called. These are systems, they have them in, in uh, many, many countries across the world. They have them in many, many cities across the United States. Um, typically what they are is they're systems whereby people can exchange goods and services without the need for money. They're basically a barter system. Mm -hmm. Because I think when we start to think about economic development and particularly economic empowerment of people, Obviously, having money in your pocket is very, very important, but it's not the only element of wealth generation. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, my wife's from Appalachia, and in Appalachia, you very often find things like, you know, I'm a plumber, you're a carpenter, the plumbing in your house needs to be fixed, my roof needs to be fixed, mm -hmm. you don't have any money, I don't have any money, I'll fix your plumbing, you fix my roof. Mm -hmm. um, so both of us can improve our material standards of living without actually having access to cash. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would like to see um, is, you know, if we could make this work, is maybe some kind of non-profit that would serve kind of as a coordinator that basically that people had services, who had services to offer and people who needed things done could, could get together um, 
and uh, you know, yeah, may- maybe you know, you you do some carpentry for me, and I do your yard work or something right. along those lines. Right. Um, so it just expands the definition of what we consider to be economic development and economic empowerment. I mean, mm-hmm. I think what one of the roles I think of government is to allow people to take control over their lives. And I don't think you can claim to live in a democracy um, when people can't have a basic control over their economic destiny. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have impacted poverty, um, that really impacts uh, you know, the ability of people to, to make choices. You know, we started off talking about how America is a land about choices. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have a good education, if you don't have access to economic opportunities you, your choices are limited right. and I think what government should be doing is increasing the ability of people to, to make choices okay. um, then let's see here that one sounded very serious that was good <laughs> but I think it's important you know well it's and it's definitely that's the the, the local uh, the local economic trading system is something that I hadn't, I'm not, not familiar with. That's definitely a very unique idea, and it's sort of mm-hmm. it, the idea of having a nonprofit coordinator for it would would give some sort of central authority because mm-hmm. you, you know, you're you're sure things like that go on at a micro mm-hmm. level, but mm-hmm. probably not on a coordinated mm-hmm. macro level. So, well, one of the other things that would tie in with that that they've done in in a number of places, and probably the most famous is Ithaca, New York, which is in Ithaca they have something called Ithaca Hours. And the local businesses agree. They basically they print up coupons that are worth a certain amount of, of work. It's usually an hours, uh, an hours worth of work that would be nominally valued at ten dollars. Um, and so they print up these uh, coupons, and then people um, will will take them as their um, in, in change, mm-hmm. and businesses agree to take them. Um, and what's really cool about that is it keeps wealth in the local community. Mm-hmm. It's a really locally focused economic development strategy. And there's actually a website, I think it's www.ithacahours.com or .org, I forget mm-hmm. which. If you just Googled Ithaca Hours, it'll come you up. Come across that. Um, but I think that's a really interesting um, idea because I think one of the problems that we have here in athens Clark County is we have so many people that, that, that work here but live outside of the county that a lot of our wealth basically bleeds out of the county. Um, and this is a way of keeping wealth inside. inside, or at least at the local level. I mean, every time you shop at Walmart, okay, Walmart's located in Athens, but the profits are going out of the community. Every time you shop at a locally owned business, the profits are staying here in the community and are creating what the economists call a multiplier effect. You know, so every mm-hmm. every dollar that a business owner has, they're going to turn around and spend that dollar somewhere else, mm-hmm. and it really stimulates the local economy. The interesting thing about these Ithaca hours, and maybe we could have a kind of an Athens hours type mm-hmm. program, um, is they can only be spent locally. You know, you're not going to take them to San Francisco or Los mm-hmm. Angeles or, or Boston or whatever. They're not going to take them, so they can only be spent locally. And mm-hmm. it really encourages local local businesses and it encourages local spending. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something worth at least exploring. I mean, we okay. may explore it, and it may decide we may decide as a community this is not something we want to do. But I think it's at least worth exploring. What's the uh, FDR approach to the matter? It certainly is. Um, I had to get a Roosevelt reference in there at some point. <laughs> Franklin or Teddy? <laughs> Franklin. Teddy. I like Teddy too, but more of a Franklin man. Okay. Um, 
Well, then the last one, and I'll throw there'll be a little bit of a curveball in here, but um, when you when you talk about um, Commissioner McCarter and, and the service he did, uh, everyone says his greatest strength was his availability, his um, connectivity to his constituents. That even if he disagreed with you on something, he called you back, he came by your house, he returned your email, he had a newsletter that he sent out to different folks. Um, I imagine both you and, and, and uh, David Hamilton will want to try to emulate that kind of connectivity and that kind of responsiveness. So that's something you want to that you'd like to be like him. In what regard will you be different from States McCarter as a commissioner for District Eight? Um, well, as, as I've said publicly, I mean, I think States was was very good in the ways that you had said um, in terms of uh, getting back to constituents, and I worked with him for four years in, in my capacity as a neighborhood president and he always returned my phone calls he always uh, uh, responded to my emails and we would meet periodically and he would keep me informed of things that were going on in the neighborhood and surrounding the neighborhood so I think those are really important things for a commissioner to do I think that um, one of the things that, that Commissioner McCarter got frustrated with was that he and the rest of the commission were beginning to pull apart in terms of the the political direction in which they wanted to to go. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that that I have to my advantage is that I have very good relations with virtually all of the commissioners and the mayor. And I think um, one of the really important things to be able to do, whoever ends up being uh, elected to this position, is to be able to build coalitions. It takes six votes to get anything done. Um, and I think it's important to realize that just because somebody votes against you on one issue doesn't mean that you can't turn around and build a coalition and have them vote with you on something else. And, and I think those personal connections um, are really important, which is, is not to say that it should be cliquey or clicky, mm-hmm. um, but it, but the reality is it's it's those personal it's the ability to get on with people is really what allows you to be an effective commissioner and uh, as I say I mean I know all of the commissioners personally I know the mayor um, through my work with Athens Clark County I mean I've been involved in Athens Clark County uh, local politics um, and uh, these issues for for more than ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you know with being a, a planning commissioner, hearings board, uh, I was on the tree ordinance committee. I was on the committee that came up with the stream buffer protections. So I know mm-hmm. how the county government works, and I think it's important that you have somebody in there that can hit the ground running because it's only a short, it's only an eighteen month term. Mm-hmm. Who can hit the ground running and who has good personal relationships with with the other commissioners, and, and that's the way you get something done. Um, and I don't have a big ego. I mean, I have some, I have a big ego about some things, but this is not one of them. Um, and, and I think you just have to not, you know, you, you just have to be open to to people who may disagree with you. I mean, you know, um, honest people can disagree about things, but I think mm-hmm. you have to be able to overcome those disagreements. As I said, just because somebody votes against you on one issue doesn't mean that they're not going to turn around on the second, on the very next issue and vote with you. And I mm-hmm. think the ability to to deal with that and to build coalitions is what makes an effective commissioner. You need six votes. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to do a few fun questions now. All right, the boring stuff's over. <laughs> well, no, no I, I'm, I'm wonky, so I, I enjoy all that. <laughs> okay, the wonky stuff. I, I have a whole page of notes here. <laughs> um, 
So we're going to do a couple little fun questions. Okay. Uh, try to get your, your taste here. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant in athens Clark County? Well, um, I have several, and that's one of my problems. My doctor has told me I needed to lose some weight. So um, I'm, uh, I've traveled a lot, and, and I like a food from all different parts of the world. But I would say if I had to, if I could only eat one type of food, you know, for the rest of my life, if I were on a desert island and I could, I could take a chef out from only one part of the world, it would probably be Asian food. Um, I like spicy food. And it would be a tough call whether it would be the kind of Southeast Asian spicy Thai type food mm-hmm. or the South Asian Indian type food. Um, there must be something with, the, with folks who are either running for commissioner or on commission. <laughs> I had lunch with Kelly Gertz and he took me to a Thai place and I, I, I really gave it a try. Uh, are you not a spicy food person? I like spicy food. I mean, I love um, Latin American food um, and Tex-Mex and all that, uh, but uh, I just couldn't really... It wasn't. It wasn't bad, nah. but it wasn't my cup of tea. Let's say. You need to uh, have some of those Thai chilies. I had a graduate student um, that was here a few years ago, and he'd spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia on his research, and um, he would get Thai food, Thai spicy, and that's just a little bit too spicy for me. <laughs> I mean, I thought we went out for lunch one day, and he we, he said, "I'll order for you." And, and he ordered this thing, and he was eating it like it was mild, and I had steam coming out of my ears. Um, but I would say those are probably my, my two favorites. Is there a certain restaurant in town? Uh, Thai of uh, we eat a lot at Thai of Athens, and we eat a lot at um, the New Indian uh, Taste of India okay. place. Um, and, you know, when I'm in England, my one of the favorite things I like is a good old-fashioned fish and chips. All right. Yeah. That's fair enough. Fried food, you can't go wrong with that. That's right. Well, I'm in the South. So. <laughs> um, what's your favorite your favorite band or musical group or singer? Uh, well, um, I have a very eclectic sense mm-hmm. of, uh, in music, um, but I would say, again, if I were on a desert island and I could only take mm-hmm. a certain number of, of CDs... I'm a big um, kind of late 70s, early 80s music type person, which is the music that I grew up as, mm-hmm. a, as a kid listening to. So I would say bands like The Smiths, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, um, and then probably some more obscure British bands. Uh, one of my favorite bands was a band called Orange Juice, um, which was uh, actually from Glasgow in Scotland. And okay. when I was a very, very small kid, we lived in Glasgow. And if any of your uh, listeners... Um, they're, I think you could probably still get their music. I don't know whether it would be on CD or on, on iTunes records. Well, I don't know, you know, what we would call records and LPs when I was a kid. Um, but but that's the kind of music I like. Okay. Uh, I, I like some of the more modern stuff. Um, you know, uh, but but really, it's it's that kind of sort of late seventies, early eighties. Okay. When I was a, a teenager, late teenager, into my you know going into college. Okay. Uh, the Sex Pistols, of course. Well, naturally. Uh, I, I still remember the, uh, during the Queen's Silver Jubilee, going, they were going up the Thames. I was going to say, you can't uh, be from, from Britain and that would be a better. Sex Pistols fan. That's fame. right, of course. Uh, what was the last concert you went to? We went and saw R.E.M. at the Gwinnett Centre okay. um, about uh, 18 months ago. And... Um, Billy Bragg we had seen in Atlanta I, I've seen actually I've met Billy Bragg on a couple of occasions because when I was in college I worked on the college radio station up at WVU mm-hmm. um, and um, he played Pittsburgh one time and we got to we got to be all official with our press passes <laughs> and schmooze 
And that's, um, those were fun back back when we had him. Yeah, well, Billy Bragg. I love Billy Bragg. He's just I, what I like about him is his good tunes, but really good lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, well, since you disclosed to me earlier, um, I'm going to ask you favorite local blog, and you could either shamelessly pander to me or. Uh, I'll just let you off the hook by saying you don't you don't visit a whole lot of them too frequently. You're sort of kind of new to the blog world, so I would say my favorite local blog is yours. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. It's <laughs> a good call. Um, what was the last book you read? Last book I read. Well, I tend I tend to read um, either history or mm-hmm. or politics type things, mm-hmm. and mostly related to working on campus. So. Mm-hmm. I've actually been writing a book um, on the global economy, so I've been reading a lot of uh, stuff recently on um, issues of globalization. Okay. Um, so nothing, nothing in particular, nothing particularly exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, some books on on the current global economy, and then also uh, on nineteenth-century uh, British imperialism in India, okay. um, because obviously that has had a dramatic impact upon the way in which the world economy operated then and since. We were talking to a person who, for Christmas, made it sure that his wife gave him a very thick book on the history of the New Deal in the South. So. Okay, okay. Well, I got... Um, wonky, again. Yeah, and I'm kind of wonky like that, too. I like that kind of stuff. I got, um, for Christmas, the uh, Simon Sharma History of Britain oh, yes. DVDs with, mm-hmm. with the with the books that have come, because I think it's a three-volume set. I saw part of those with a friend recently uh, who was watching on his laptop and I kept leaning over and looking at it. Yeah, no, they're very good. And I actually subsequently found out that Simon Sharma went to my high school, although he went to my high school about 30 years before (laughs) I did. Uh, Let's see. Uh, What's your favorite movie all time? My favorite movie of all time, if I could only have one on a desert island, is a movie called Breaker Morant. And it's an Australian movie. It's it came out probably in the early 80s, I would say. And it's based on a true set of events. Um, it's uh, set in the um, South African War, 1900-1901, when the British were fighting the Africana Boers, the Africana farmers. And because Australia at that time was still part of the empire, uh, Britain called on Australian troops to go and fight in South Africa. And the story is, uh, the, act, the main actor is Edward Woodward, and um, there's uh, a couple of other, uh, Brian Brown is a famous mm-hmm. Australian actor, is in it as well. Um, and the guy that, I forget his name, but the guy that played Sonny Siler in, in uh, the um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, he plays, okay. the, uh, he's in that movie. Anyway, the, the, the movie is about these three guys, and they were given orders to... Um, when they took prisoners, guerrilla prisoners, mm-hmm. you know, because the Boers were not part of a quote-unquote regular army, they were mm-hmm. they were guerrillas. Uh, they were given orders not to take prisoners, so any prisoners that they took were to be executed in the field. And as I say, I mean, this is based on historical fact. Mm-hmm. This actually happened. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for these three guys, uh, one of the people that they they shot was a German national, and the German government wanted to use that as an excuse to come into the war on the side of the, the Boers. Mm-hmm. And the reason the British were very worried about that is because South Africa had huge gold and diamond uh, resources. And so they needed, the British government needed some scapegoats. So these three guys became scapegoats. And mm-hmm. they court-martialed them. Um, and uh, all three were found guilty and all three were sentenced to death. And one of them was pardoned uh, because he was 
I think only about 18 or so when mm-hmm. this happened, and the other two were shot. Um, and the, the guy that was pardoned uh, actually wrote a book about his experiences, which is called Scapegoats of the Empire, and mm-hmm. the UGA library has it. It's a really interesting uh, read. Um, and he spent about three or four years in prison. They sent him actually to England to serve his prison sentence, and then he was released, and I think he went back to Australia. Um, but it's a great... I like movies that uh, are have an interesting story to tell. I like historical mm-hmm. movies. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that Hollywood can, can do lots of interesting, quote-unquote, <laughs> things with historical <laughs> stories. I mean, Pearl Harbor um, wasn't accurate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but but Breaker Morant is really mm-hmm. interesting, and, and the Morant, who was one of the two that they actually shot, he was kind of an interesting character because he was a minor poet. If you Google him, uh, Harry, I think, was his first name. They called him a bre- Breaker because he had broken horses in okay. the Australian outback when he was a younger man, uh, and I think his real name was Harry. Harry Morant. If you Google him, some of his mm-hmm. poems will come up on the internet. But it's a really, it's a, it's a kind of a make you think movie, okay. and it was all about how basically the powers that be uh, messed with the little guy because by doing so that got them off the hook. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm I'm a big believer in you know sometimes the powers that be need to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not exactly a date movie. Then. Not exactly oh, a date okay. movie. No, no. It's not. It's not going to get you to first base. I don't. Think. <laughs> uh, then the last one, the last question we got. What's the best thing about living in Athens, Clark County? The people. Uh, just what I like about Athens, Clark County is it's a really engaged community. Um, people care about this community, and I think you see that. I, mean, I remember going to the very first PPA meeting over at Cedar Shoals mm-hmm. High School, and there must have been 500 people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really amazing to live in a community that pe- in which people really care. And I mean, I know that's going to sound really kind of like pandemic-esque, no, but, but in all honesty, it's, there are, I mean, I've lived in lots of different places, mm-hmm. and there aren't too many places that I can think of where people care about the community and there's a real sense of community like there is here in Athens. So um, that's what I really, I think that's what's cool. Now, you know, August, maybe I might have a different opinion because <laughs> I'm not one for the hot weather. <laughs> um, but, I, but I really do, I think this is a, a community that cares and that's, you know, that's why I live here. Okay. Well, Andy, that's, a, that's a, all I really got for you right now. I'm sure that you may get a couple other questions emailed you from other folks. But I um, uh, thank you for letting me come to your house and okay. sit at your table, drink your lemonade, and listen to your dogs and cats as well as okay. you. So. And if I could give a shameless plug, I do have a website at uh, www.voteandyathens.com so people can read more about me there. All right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for sitting with me, and uh, best of luck in the election. Thanks very much. Have an issue, person, or event you'd like to discuss in a political podcast but don't want to commit to a recurring show? If you have your own equipment, you can make a recording and post it to our site as an MP3. Email us at info at gapodcastnetwork.com to find out how. If you don't have your own equipment, you can leave interviews, reports, and rants up to 10 minutes long on our voicemail system by calling 678 389-9441. Thanks for listening to Politics is Vocal on the Georgia Podcast Network. Visit us at gapodcastnetwork.com. You heard Can I Be a Star by Bernshee Thornside, which is available at magnatune.com. <laughs>